they're going to dissect to a variety of topics. Some might even say a wide variety of topics. <laughs> I would. Uh, we wrapped up, uh, what was it last week? Uh, we Halloween? talked about, no. No, that's like so far back. So long ago, we talked about um, daylight savings. <laughs> Sorry, my body's still getting used to it. Yeah. Um, oh, yeah, by the way, somebody told me that we had that episode completely wrong. We were saying that we were gaining an hour, but we were losing an hour in reality. No, we gained an hour because if you fall back, okay, you then repeat we the hour. said we lost an hour. I don't know. Somebody corrected us. Either way, daylight savings is. But it doesn't not a matter whether you gained it or you lost it because it's going to cross itself out come March or April. It all comes out in the wash. You know, it's been going on for years, so yeah, deal with it. You know, I got a couple emails of people because we said, you know, like, what are your thoughts on daylight savings? So we got a couple emails, and ironically, both people said the exact same thing is the one thing that daylight savings does mess with is your dog yep and i mentioned that when it was like brighter and for longer in alaska yep. the dog thought it was time to party but yep. if you have a dog that is food crazy and knows their food schedule yeah they will think it's time to eat when they're an hour early yep and but then it gets, in reality they're not early right but they just i've i mean our yep. lab that we had was like that because his like internal clock was so good he was like it's time to eat yep <laughs> and it would be like way too early yeah but poor, not in his mind guy. i know so you just had to give him a little treat and send him on his way yeah just start slowly feeding him mm-hmm. you know yeah definitely. but i totally agree with that and it was funny because both people said the exact same thing yeah it's the dogs that get you mm-hmm. i wonder if cats do that are they too busy sleeping or being jerks yeah i don't know mm. probably hating on people you know it happens mm-hmm. um anyway today is veterans day weekend Yep. And we are going to dig in and dissect some history about Veterans Day. Mm-hmm. And we're also going to share some stories from uh, veterans in our own family. Mm-hmm. Um, so what is it that you think Veterans Day means? Uh, well, most people would say, oh, it's a day for um, sales and barbecues. <laughs> hmm. You know how people always say, like, that's not what this is about. Like, yeah, yeah. people who are actually involved in the certain holiday, like Memorial Day and Veterans Day. Like, uh, I mean, a lot of people who don't have family members. Yeah, are, it's like, always it's... those people that are, like, patriotic, like, three times a year, you know? Yeah. They're like, today is... Put the flag out. It's Memorial barbecue. Day. Today's not about barbecues and going and buying a new car. It's about yeah. such and such. And the next day, they're like, this country sucks. And why are we still over in Iraq? You know? It's yeah. Like, yeah, I liked your post yesterday. Today, you apparently forgot everything you stood for. Right, but um, Veterans anyway. Day is <laughs> supposed to be about people who are serving or have served. Yeah. And it was... Um, I'm testing your history now. Basically, and I read about this mm-hmm. to refresh my memory. Sure, sure. It was um, a document that was signed to finish World War One, right? Like, come to terms where... They yeah, agreed so like a, World War One was over and it was on the 11th hour of the 11th day of the 11th month. Right. Yes. So it always falls on November 11th every year. Yep. Yep. Disregardless of what day of the week it is. Disregardless, it doesn't matter. Yes. But yeah. So uh, World War One officially ended with the Treaty of Versailles signed previously in that year. Mm-hmm. And then um, it wasn't until, I mean, the fighting continued to, to keep going. You know, mm-hmm. and we've seen that before. Uh, War of 1812 is another example. Um, but yeah, and then Germany decided that they would sign the armistice deal. And like you just said, 11th day, 11th hour, all that good stuff. Mm-hmm. And that's what it used to be called. What was it called? The armistice? I don't even <laughs> yep. know how to armistice say it. Armistice day. But that's what it used to be called. And some countries still call it that. They Correct. don't call it Veterans Day. So other countries 
celebrate Veterans Day, but they call it something else. Yeah, so they changed so the it official. to Veterans Day because, uh, I mean, World War One was supposed to be the war to end all wars, you know. Yeah. Um, and unfortunately, yeah, just, I mean, not too much longer later, you had World War Two break out and you had the Korea conflict. That's when so on and so move. forth. Yeah. Um, mm-hmm. So, yeah, they changed it to Veterans Day to encompass everybody that served. Yeah. And Memorial Day is not the same as Veterans Day. Memorial Day is for those who died in battle. Exactly. So yeah, to died memorialize in either them. combat or uh, related injuries from serving. Yeah, and that was one of my questions that I was going to ask you last week, and I was like, no, nah, we'll just get into it next week. So do you feel weird when people tell you Happy Veterans Day? Um, well, I always kind of feel weird when someone says that kind of stuff. Cause or like, I feel people even tell me Happy Memorial Day. Like, they go out of their way to tell it Well, to yeah, me. but, I mean, I feel like that's just a gesture of just, like, Merry Christmas or... Well, yeah, but I think it's because... Oh, when they, like, personally say it to you. Yeah, like, because uh, okay. you're in the military. Yeah, I see You what know what I mean? Saying. But it's yeah. like, I didn't... That That's... This is not a holiday for me. And veterans, like, I get that to some degree, but, like, I'm still in the military. Mm-hmm. So, I don't feel... I feel like it's for people who served our country already. Yeah, I see what I you're mean, saying. I'll get there someday when I'm finally done with it, but, mm-hmm. you know, like, does that make you feel kind of weird or no? Um, well, after like reading what it's about and that it is for veterans and people that are still serving. Yeah. I mean, take it however you want. Right. the way I look at it. Um, it's always like people that say, thank you for your service. Yeah. It's what like, do you, uh, what do you say to that? Um, no, thank you. <laughs> <laughs> Just like some random person. Um, I always say, oh, I appreciate it. Thank you very much. Okay. You know, I try to say something like that, but sometimes it just catches me off guard and mm-hmm. I just feel weird. Do you ever say you too? Yeah, it's like... <laughs> like, when you're at the airport boarding a plane and the flight attendant's like, have a, a good, good flight. Or the, yeah, the gate agent, yeah. have a good flight. Yeah, you too. And you're like, dang it. You slap yourself on the face. You're like, so stupid. 30 minutes later, you're in the air and you're just looking at the window like, oh, I'm never going to see her again, but <laughs> I hope she doesn't tell anybody. Yeah. yeah. Um, luckily, I mean, I don't know. I, I don't know if I've ever said, yeah, you too, you know, to somebody right, who... Right. But yeah, it, it kind of puts you on the spot. And it, mm-hmm. at that point, like, I don't feel like... I personally am making a huge sacrifice serving the country, being in the military. You know, unlike you, I've never been in a war zone and like done anything like that. I just feel like it's my job. Well, you know, that's what a lot of people say. They look at it, you know. Yeah. Just doing my job. I think back in the day when it was different, when people got drafted and it wasn't right. their choice and yeah, everything, sure. then absolutely I give those guys way more credit than I give myself for voluntarily joining. Yeah. And actually. But when we start telling the stories of our family later, I mean, that's a really good point to make is just how, Cause how that like changes somebody's entire life forever. You know, yeah. it's not just like, Oh, the war went for four years. I was deployed there for a year and now everything's back to normal. And that's like, no, like life literally changed in that moment yeah. for those people right. forever. You know? Yeah. And I mean, you hear about like extreme circumstances that people went through to avoid the draft, Yeah, you know, doing certain things to just completely, get away with not getting drafted and it was like extreme things like i can't think of anything right now but i know people cut off their trigger finger so they couldn't shoot guns that's yeah okay prime example and it's like that imagine being involved in that back then and just having your life uprooted and Mm -hmm. that's how you enter the military yeah so i mean it it means a lot of things to different people but i mean if you have anybody in the military and your family you know, even distant relatives, I'm sure you've heard stories about them. Mm-hmm. And if you're in yourself, if you've got plenty of stories, like we've got plenty of stories, places we've been, all that kind of stuff. So, yeah. And on that note, I, I say like either talk to those people or 
others that were there and like get the stories while you still can you know yeah because didn't you say the last surviving soldier from world war one just recently died or it was a couple of years ago yeah, just a few years ago like that i don't sucks. think there's anybody else left from that war you're never gonna get firsthand stories ever again yep like that's so sad yeah and like i was talking to my aunt uh, my great aunt uh on the phone last week mm-hmm. uh one night of the week i don't know what it was but we talked i mean this is the longest i talked to her in for a long time yeah but, I mean, I was literally just picking her brain about all these stories. Some of them I'd heard before. Some of them I haven't. Mm-hmm. Um, and I just wanted to get all this information for this episode here. But then, you know, beyond just recording a show, I mean, it's just so interesting to hear, you know, what it was like back then before mm-hmm. there was the computers where you could just send an email and document whatever's going on. You yeah. know what I mean? And, I mean, those stories are slowly, you know, being lost. Going, yeah, going away. You're probably not going to hear a lot of them come the next couple of years. Mm-hmm. For sure. Um, so how do you want to start? Whose story you want to talk about first? Because we've got a couple. We could talk about our own or... Um, let's start with uh, oldest, like, uh, oldest conflict and work forward. What do you think? Sure. You want to do something like that? Okay. Do um, you have anybody from World War II? Um, probably my grandpa, but I don't know any of his stories. You don't know anything Mm-mm. there? Like was I that... said, he passed away when I was super young. So on your dad's side? Yeah. Yeah. Marine but... Corps, you said? Mm-hmm. Yeah. So he was the Marine. Yeah. Wasn't he a pilot? Or he worked uh, in aviation or something? Honestly, I have no idea. No, I thought I heard your dad talking about that. Yeah. It was my dad's stepdad. Okay. So, and he was... <laughs> he was in the Marine Corps. Yeah, but they, I mean, he was not a very friendly man, so... Uh, well, yeah. the Marines probably did that to him. Yeah, probably. <laughs> so, I don't really have a lot of stories from his side of, yeah. honestly, any that I can remember. Yeah, so, but you. I definitely have a couple generations back in the day, but I don't know their stories, so... Okay. Um, so for World War II, the one that uh, I have is my great uncle Ralph. Mm-hmm. He served. He was drafted into the army. Ugh, yeah. Um, in World War II, there's a picture of him right over there on the table. Mm-hmm. Uh, I don't know what happened to his hand. He's got his hand like in a big old bandage or a cast or something. I don't know what happened to it. Who knows? Um, Could have yeah. been anything. Yeah. Um, but I talked to my aunt, who was his uh, sister, mm-hmm. and she was saying that. Uh, <laughs> so. Ralph, when he, when I knew him, because uh, he passed away several years ago, but mm-hmm. um, when I knew him, and he was the nicest man you'd ever meet. He farmed after coming home from World War II all his life. Yeah. Um, but I remember hearing stories about how he would go on vacation with my grandparents and others in the family. Mm-hmm. And, like, when they went to, like, Florida or to the beach, he refused to, like, leave the parking lot. And he would said, he Like, always, get out of the car and go to the beach? Yeah, he never went to the beach. Hmm. And he would always say, I've walked through enough sand in my life. I'm not doing it again. No, I can't say I blame him. So I asked Mabel, his sister, and I was like, what's the story with that? And she just started laughing. And she said, Ralph told her one time that when he, because he was in Italy in World War II. Okay. Um, he told her that he walked the entire country of Italy on foot mm. from, I don't know if she said north to south or south to north. I'm imagining it's north to south because I'm pretty sure he came in after D-Day the waves that came through there. So I imagine he started from the North. Mm-hmm. Um, I did a quick search and he walked the, if he walked the entire thing on foot, that's over 750 miles. Goodness. And he told Mabel that the mud and the sand was up to his knees majority of the time. And you know how hard it is to walk through mud and sand. <laughs> like your shoes keep getting stuck. Could it just you imagine? feels nasty. Yeah. I can't blame him. Especially with like, I mean, nowadays we have like the, the super boots that have like the insoles and you know what I mean? Like yeah, it keeps you on your feet. Yeah, they're way lighter but just using World War II equipment yeah. from the 1940s. Some of it left over from even before that. Yeah. And then, hey, get in formation. We're headed south. Mm-hmm. And by the time his time over there was done, he had walked the entire country of Italy. Dang. 
And from that day, he said that he would never go back into sand again because he'd seen enough of it. Yeah. And even my dad, I was talking to him about it, and he says he remembers Ralph saying that too. Poor guy probably just sat in the car over and had fun at the beach. I would have been back at the hotel. No, he said he would, yeah, up. he would just sit on the on the balcony or whatever of the hotel, look I at the beach or don't you know, blame the him at all. Um, but yeah, so he was done with the sand. I don't I don't blame him after that. No. Um, Mabel said that back then, of course, they only had letters home, and those would come just a few times a year. Yeah. Um, interestingly enough, Mabel had uh, two uncles of her own that were in World War II. Hmm. Which I never knew about this. Yeah. But while Ralph was over there in the middle of Europe, in the middle of this world war that Tell was Tell me going they on, ran into each other. They all bumped into each what? other one time. And Ralph letter, wrote a letter home saying, hey, I, I got three names written down here. I don't know who served and who didn't. I think it was Clyde and William mm-hmm. um, that he bumped into. But he wrote a letter and said, hey, I just, I mean, the other name is Sam in case he was there. I want to give him credit. But he said, I just bumped into one of them two. Hmm. We're all doing well. Wow. And then who knows how long it took to get that letter home, you know? Yeah. So, I mean, if you're the mother or the sister of these people and you get a letter from one of them and you see that all three of them are still alive, like, yeah. you know, the kind of feeling that must be. Huh. Isn't That's that wild. wild? Yeah. Yeah. Out of all the places in that what are the entire chances? war. Yep. They, they, Considering uh, it's a world war that they end up in the same country. Yep. That they bumped into each other. Wow. What I mean, a... Could you imagine just bumping into your uncle being deployed That's... over there and... Yeah, that's crazy. Oh, hey, I know you. Crazy history there. Mm-hmm. Huh. Uh, so, yeah, that's the, uh, unfortunately, that's the only World War II story that I have. Yeah. Um, moving forward, uh, the Korean War. Mm-hmm. You know a lot about it? Mm, um, no. I mean, that, isn't that the Forgotten War? Yeah, that's what a lot of people call yeah. it, the Forgotten War, unfortunately. Um, so, I had a grand, my grandfather, my grandfather, grandfather. Father. My grandfather served. Uh, he was in the Air Force mm-hmm. during the Korean War. And uh, I got to listen to some of his stories as well. Yeah. Uh, he was actually, not to uh, not to say that he did anything wrong. Sure. But he got home one day, and this is what I was talking about, how your whole life changes. I mean, he got home one day, was making plans to go out, whatever, and his dad handed him his draft notice for the oh. Army. So it was the draft notice from the Army. The envelope wasn't opened. <sighs> so as soon as he saw it and he knew what it was. Yeah. So he immediately put the envelope down and he ran to the nearest Air Force recruiter's office and enlisted with the Air Force. Oh, that way he didn't go in the Army? Yeah, because he knew he wanted to work with like computers and stuff. And back then that was who was doing all that was the Air Force. Right. You know, radars and computer systems and that type of stuff. Um, And so the recruiter asked him, like, have you received a draft notice? And he he said, not that I've seen. (laughs) (laughs) I mean, technically he didn't see it. It was just an... uh, I was going to say an email. Yeah. It was just an envelope. Yeah. So right there on the spot, he enlisted into the Air Force. And mm. uh, he said it wasn't long later. You know how everybody flies to boot camp now? Yeah. He literally packed all of his stuff, or they gave him his little bag, and they sent him to a train station. And he took a train down to Texas from Missouri. Dang. And reported to uh, San Antonio, Texas for boot camp. Yep. Uh, while he was in the Air Force, he got orders to get deployed over to Korea. Okay. Uh, they t- took him to California somehow. Hmm. I don't know if he... Uh, Flew there, trained, bus, whatever. But when he got there, they put him on a Navy boat that was going to transport him over to, to Korea, right? Mm-hmm. Um, he had a buddy of his that uh, apparently they missed the overhead call or whatever, the pipe on the boat. Mm-hmm. And they didn't check in with anybody. Oh. So the boat had been underway for a while. They couldn't see shore anymore. And uh, they went to talk to whoever was in charge. And the guy was like, I don't even have you guys listed as Who being are here. you? <laughs> <laughs> and he's like, well, we're here. Surprise. 
And uh, he, my grandpa said that the guy was more mad that they didn't get assigned any, like, duties or chores to do while they were in Yeah, because they could have been using them the whole time. Right. They're like, what the heck? You guys have just been passengers the last it's couple exactly days? exactly what he said. He <laughs> said, all right. He said, so until we pull into Korea, I don't want to see you guys again. Ooh. So my grandpa said that he had to run around and hide on the boat to make sure that. <laughs> see he, that guy come and duck yeah, into a room. Make <laughs> sure that he looked busy to others because, you know, people are mopping, doing everything. Yeah. And my grandpa doesn't have a job to do on the boat. Just carry a folder. Yeah. That's what I used to do. Right. Look busy. <laughs> uh, board and a screwdriver will get your get yes. your places um but yeah he said i think it was like a two-week trip dang from uh california to korea uh, they probably stopped maybe in uh, hawaii or something along the way yeah i'm sure um but once he got into korea he uh there's a picture of him right over there next to uncle ralph mm-hmm. and he worked uh, i believe it was radars mm. checking out for uh, enemies and that type of stuff yeah and uh he said the most memorable thing was uh bed check charlie if you've ever heard of that no so he said every night when the guys were getting ready for bed, a little single-engine plane would fly over really slow and would drop hand grenades out the window. Oh. Yeah. That's so nice. They all started calling him Bed Check Charlie because he would come every night right around bedtime when everybody was getting into their sleeping bags and their foxholes yeah. and whatnot. So they would have to sound the alarm, and they would say, oh, it's Bed Check Charlie. What? <laughs> but, um, Never heard of that. Yeah. So. That would suck. You're, like, all prepped and ready for bed. Got your, like... Hand grenades, man. Yeah. I mean, just throw a grenade out the window. Mm-hmm. It's fine. Yeah, for huh. sure. What a life. Yeah. I mean, like I said, those are the type of memories that, or the stories, rather, mm-hmm. that are starting to fade away, you know? Yeah. Because, I mean, we don't experience that kind of stuff these days. I mean, I'm there, I'm sure there's units out there that do. Right, right. But, I mean, that's not like a every night occurrence. Right. And it's, I mean, <laughs> from the Korean War, no less, you know, where a lot of people don't know about it already. Yeah. And then you see it kind of start to fade away as far as the stories go. Yeah, definitely for people that were involved. And, I mean, I've. I've seen documentaries and stuff like that with you. It's forgotten because it's not much talked about because we didn't really gain anything from it. Mm -hmm. But the people that were there, it's definitely not forgotten. That's for sure. Because they went through hell and back over there. So what do you got? Oh, well, mine's later on. So later on. What are we looking like for time? In the time frame. Uh, We got about 10 minutes. We may have to do a part two. Oh, no. Uh, well, I mean, I'll just be real quick then. The next one is my Uncle Bob who served in the Marine Corps. Oh, but you can't do Uncle Bob quick. Well, you're going to get 10 minutes of Uncle Bob then. <laughs> I mean, I could share a story. Maybe we could do Uncle Bob next yeah. time. All right. Um, so, obviously, my dad didn't serve in World War II or anything like that. He joined in, like, the mid to late 70s mm-hmm. um, and spent near 30 years in the Coast Guard. Yeah. Um. So I was born in 88, so I'm aging myself right there. So he had already been in for a while by the time I was born. Um, he spent half his career almost on boats. Mm-hmm. Uh, he was a machinery technician, so he knows exactly how to fix engines and cars and all that kind of stuff. Um, and it's interesting now that I've joined the Coast Guard as well because he jokes and says, I never thought that I'd be talking to my youngest daughter about things that I did. When I was in my late 20s, early 30s. And I'm like, yeah, you know, that is weird. Um, Because I was on one of the same type of boats for my first unit that he was, too. So he knew all about it. Weren't you on, like, the sister ship of his? Um, At the time. Close to it or something? Yeah. At the time, it was, I mean, they moved the boats around all the time. But he spent a lot of time on the ones that are located in Hawaii. Mm -hmm. I had the chance to actually go to one of the ones that he did two different tours on. Wow. um, But I chose not to since I was like, well, I've already lived in Hawaii twice out of my life. I'm going to go somewhere different. Right. Um, But he has so many different stories. Um, He's been to Hong Kong. He's been to Germany. Wow. Um, 
you know, all these different countries. We used to call, he used to bring my mom the money, like foreign exchange money. Mm-hmm. Um, and she, for some reason, she used to call them bongo bucks. I don't know. I don't remember where that came from, mm. but it was just, she kept like a whole collection of foreign money that he would bring back from all of his like foreign travel and stuff. And that's, that's one, cool. that's one of the cool things about being in the military is you get, I wouldn't say they're paid vacations, but mm-hmm. they're paid trips to foreign countries. So, um, but he's got a lot of stories from being underway and everything. And one of the ones that he said when I asked him that was something most memorable uh, is he was on an 82 foot patrol boat out of um, like the Pacific Northwest. Yeah. They were doing some engine tests and stuff. So of course he was in the engine room doing all that stuff uh, in the Straits of Juan de Fuca, yep. which I'm sure you're familiar with as well. Yeah. And if you're not, that's the waterway that separates uh, Washington state from Canada. Yes. Very cold. Yes. It I, is. I would not go swimming in it. <laughs> in Port Angeles. Absolutely. Uh-huh. Um, so he said, you know, a lot of people are familiar with oil spills, you know, like the Exxon Valdez and mm-hmm. stuff. Um, and he said, you know, probably nobody's ever heard the story of Exxon Philadelphia. Oh, yeah. Because the oil spill never happened. Um, so they were out there doing um, engine tests mm-hmm. on their boat when they got a call saying that the uh, Exxon Philadelphia had something go wrong. I guess they blew, um, he said, a boiler tube mm. and was dead in the water about nine miles offshore. So um, it wouldn't have been an issue except for it's super windy up there and the current was carrying it towards the shore. Yeah. So and it was carrying a lot of oil, obviously. So um, his ship, the 82 footer, which is pretty small in comparison to an oil rig and things like that so the tug was coming up to rescue it basically and it was going so slow and my dad being the engineer on the boat had his 82 foot boat running at full power Mm -hmm. and going way faster than it probably should he said he had a fire hose on standby because like oil was leaking and like sparking fires and stuff because he was pushing the engine so hard to get to that boat um and basically they were able to get to the exxon philadelphia and pull it away from shore until the tug could arrive so For real they towed that thing yeah um and <laughs> one of the things he said he said um the turbos on his boat had a small oil leak yeah. um and he said literally the oil residue ignited and he said rolled a four foot fireball off the overhead while he was Jeez. doing stuff in the engine room so uh he was down there sweating his butt off literally fighting fires trying to keep this thing going at full power um which allowed them to be a lot faster than the tug so he was able to get his ship there threw the tug line over and was able to pull it. Um, and he said it was an 800 foot loaded. I was going to say, I'm looking at it right now. It's 810 foot long. Yeah. So he said, we were still going towards land, land at half a knot, which is very slow, but mm-hmm. he said way better than three to four knots that it was drifting with the current at the time. So, um, he said we were two miles from the shore. So if we hadn't gotten there as quickly as we did, it would have been a disaster and a oh, major yeah, oil leak. For sure. So, He said finally the tug showed up and did their portion, but he was able to get his ship there as fast as possible to keep it from leaking. So, and oil spills are a lot of the stuff. I mean, Coast Guard always responds to oil spills and does the control of all that stuff, but he's got crazy stories. Um, And one of the things that's most memorable for me that he told me was stories of him getting seasick because he told me that seasickness, he was like, it's genetic. So when I got stationed on a boat, he was like, you should probably take some meds and me being like thick-headed i was like nah i'm good my first patrol was up to alaska and boy did i get sick like i should have listened to him and uh like literally sitting at the pier after that if the boat was going up and down i was like like was it like the exorcist where it's just like projectile? projectile yeah it was and the first time i got sick we were doing a fire drill 
See, I want to knock on wood and say I've never been seasick. Oh but I know where you're going gosh. with the fire drill because you're going to have like 200 pounds of crap on you. Yeah. And you're sweating. Yeah. So I had like worse. my flash hood on and I remember throwing it off. I threw up in the hallway <laughs> and I had been eating Cheez-Its, mind you, to <laughs> soak up stomach acid. Come so on. it was bright orange. Come on. I was like down you for the energi- count. should have energized your fire hose and just washed it all down. <laughs> just you know? sprayed it all Spray over. Sprayed it all over the hallway. <laughs> just diluting it, people. Just while I'm throwing oh, up simultaneously. So, wow. yeah. I heard seasickness is terrible. It is. And, you know, one of the things that he told me was there's two types of seasickness. And this has always stuck with me. He says, you either f- feel so sick that you want to die. See, I'm going to stop you right there. I was on a... On a small boat, we were towing a disabled boat in the middle of uh, the wintertime in Oregon. And you know, Mm -hmm. the seas up there are terrible. And a buddy of mine, not to be too dark, he was on the aft deck and he was puking his guts out as we were towing this boat. And I said, dude, how you doing? And he turned to me and he said, if I had a gun, I would shoot myself. Yes. (laughs) Yes. And it's so true because you just feel like absolute death. You're sweating. You're salivating. Like... And it just doesn't quit either, and you just start driving. So he said, yeah, he said, there's two types. One where you're so sick you feel like you're going to die, and one where you're so sick you want to kill yourself and die. Like, so there's just, and I totally agree. Like, you're shaking. It's like been in rough weather, and I mean, I don't know, knock on wood if I have it, but I just, I've never... Yeah, and I'll probably incriminate myself because, you know, the patches, they've got seasick patches yeah. where you put it behind your ear. Yeah, and then your meclizine that you take, yeah. like the oral pill, and they say just do one or the Don't other. Don't take at the same time. So I start taking the pill like two days before I get underway, and mm-hmm. then I put the patch on and take the pill. Yeah, that makes my mouth dry. It Yeah, well, yeah, but it's so worth it because if I do one or the other, it doesn't work. Yeah, because when I got to my boat... Everybody's like, I'll put this patch on so you don't get sick. And I put it on the night before like I was supposed to. And I woke up and I was like, I'm dying. I got like, cotton mouth like crazy. So I took the thing off. And yeah. I mean, I never got Nothing. sick. Yet. No. So I was like, I'm not going to use that stuff. You're lucky. I was just stubborn and didn't listen. It was yeah. so not worth it. I mean, if you need it, take it. Yeah. Oh, I need it. No shame in our game. You know what I'm saying? Oh, I need it. Yeah. Yeah. It's a good uh, thing I joined a seagoing service. Absolutely. So mm-hmm. uh, you want to wrap it up and we'll do a part two? Yeah. Share the rest of it. Yeah, because Uncle Bob's story, like I said, is very interesting, and I definitely want you to tell the whole thing, because I think people should hear this, um, and then maybe we could share some of our own stories. Yeah, absolutely. So we're going to take a quick break. Uh, We're going to load these up simultaneously on podcast. Uh, For shortwave, though, you're going to have to stand by until the following week. Yeah. And uh, tune in to part two. So uh, once again, this is the lab. We want to say happy Veterans Day. And we want Absolutely. to thank all the veterans out there today, whether yeah. you're uh, past, present, or future. If you if you plan on serving, I hope you do. Um, it'll change your life forever. Mm-hmm. Um, but yeah, uh, Ryan Rivers and Kate Holiday here. And we'll be back uh, with our next episode. Yeah, with part two.